All right, welcome back to Bacon Wrap Business. This is Brad, and today I am bringing on a guest who has helped me tremendously personally in both my health and my performance and my recovery over the past year. And I wanted to bring him on because the things he is doing and helping others, entrepreneurs, business owners, and really anybody who cares about high performance and recovery uh, is very important. And I really want to talk to him about not only the science of anti-aging and optimal performance, but also the business model. So Gary Brecka is the founder of Streamline Medical Group. And let me give you a quick little uh, reason in the terms of, in way of a story about what happened to me and how I met Gary. So um, back in February, the end of February, I fell off a Lime scooter and I broke my wrist really badly. Had to get surgery in it, had to get um, a steel plate inserted in my hand or into my wrist. And it just so happened that this happened the last day of the big traffic and conversion summit here in San Diego, huge marketing summit, which I've been every single year. And I met somebody who works with Gary at the summit. We are talking about the uh, growth peptides and some cool anti-aging and high performance uh, compounds that he you know, uses to help people just get in amazing shape and feel, you know, years younger. And I was like, yeah, I'm happy to have a conversation. I was in good shape and I was trying to get in better shape, but then I break my wrist. And the same, the next week we set up a call and I was like, yeah, I'd love to do all these muscle building compounds and et cetera, but I'm not worried about my muscles right now. I'm worried about my damn wrist because it is wrecked. And I got on the phone with today's guest and he's like, this is what you've got. This is what you need. Gave me a handful of compounds. He says, you know, you're going to be healing like Wolverine if you stick to <laughs> this and do what I say. And uh, I'll tell you what, it, it actually worked because I've got another friend. I actually know a couple people who've had the exact same injury and I am miles ahead of where they were at my time in this recovery process. And since then, this has been maybe about, I want to say, eight months that we've been working together, and I'm on a slew of medical-grade supplements that we're going to talk all about today, and I've never felt better. And today, I wanted to share him, one of my secrets with y'all folks, as we used to say in Texas. Uh, welcome, Gary Brecka, to Bacon Rap Business. Hey, man. Thank you so much. Um, what a great intro. <laughs> Thanks. Well, man, I, I, I mean it. I really appreciate all the help. And uh, I, I think I found you at the exact right time. I mean, a lot of people come to you probably just wanting to get, you know, uh, to get better uh, as far as high performance. I was like, nah, man, I, I need to heal because I'm broken. So yeah, you, you definitely helped that happen. Let, I, like, I want to go into your backstory and some of the cool things you're doing. Like, for instance, you mentioned you used to, you, people, companies used to pay you to predict uh, death. <laughs> a person to a month. I want to, I'm putting a pin in that. So we'll come back to that. So if anybody's listening, like, I don't know if I want to hear this show. I'm like, yeah. no, you might want to hear that. Um, but um, yeah. So I, I don't know. Where, where do I want to start here? The, screw it. Let's talk about your background. Like, sure. Um, you know, I mean, I, I have a kind of a unique background for, for people, you know, that are um, in the wellness space um, for the better part of 22 years, I was, um, uh, in the mortality space for the insurance industry. So I was in a very niche market of mortality. And essentially what this was is if, um, if we got a hold of five years of your medical records and a little demographic data on you, we could tell the insurance company how long you had to live to the month. So it's different from a mortality curve or an actuarial curve. I mean, everybody, 
you know, listening to this podcast is on a mortality curve somewhere. But what the insurance companies want to know, you know, deep in the back rooms of the insurance company and the um, annuity uh, companies is not it, where is this person on the mortality curve, but specifically how long does this person have to live? Um, not where are they in a big giant pool of lives, but exactly for this life, how long they have to live. And they want to know that answer to the month. Yeah. How um, long is John Doe who, you know, smokes a pack of cigarettes a day, has three drinks, has these biomarkers, et cetera. How long before we have to pay out? Right. And, and you know, and, and they wanted to know for a healthy 25-year-old male, a postmenopausal 55-year-old female, you know, an 88-year-old, um, you know, male and frail health. I mean, so it spanned the whole spectrum. And so essentially what you would do is, you know, you would pull out certain biomarkers. Um, you know, pharmaceuticals, the presence of pharmaceuticals actually made our job a lot easier. Um, and uh, you'd pull these out and you would put them into a model um, and you would come up with an actual number of months that the person had to live. What was very sad about that job and very unfulfilling was um, that you could have no contact with the patient of any kind, um, no contact with the physician of any kind. Even if we were to spot um, life-threatening drug interactions, we could not contact the patient or uh, the family or even the physician. So that's really? the way the wall works and that's the way that uh, was set up. And so um, that part was very, very unfulfilling. But what it really gave me a chance to do was really deeply study the etiology of disease and the etiology of good health. You know, what, what lends to our um, health span versus our lifespan? And it also let me see firsthand, you know, what sort of foundational um, metrics were, were absolutely necessary for optimal health. And, and believe it or not, optimal health is a whole lot easier than people think that it is. Um, you know, we found that, um, you know, absolute optimal biometric function came down to three basic pillars. Um, and there's very little deviation from these three pillars. And if you don't have these three, it really doesn't what, matter what else you do with diet, with exercise, with neurotropics, with, um, you know, sunscreens or what have you. Um, and it had to do um, first with glycemic control, how well you were able to control your blood sugar throughout your lifetime. Um, and secondly, um, with hormonal balance, um, how well balanced your hormone profile was. Um, believe it or not, on hormonal de deficiencies lead to a whole cascade of negative consequences. Um, you know, if you read like 2018 peer-reviewed articles like Journal of American Urology, you see that the entire script on male hormone therapy, and I'll get to females in a minute, has completely flipped from being a risk factor for cardiovascular disease to actually being an impactor for cardiovascular health. Um, you know, ditto that for glycemic control, insulin resistance, um, optimal biometric function, protein synthesis, oxygen transport, and all of these um, different things that are very positive in the body. And the third thing was nutrient deficiencies. There are certain nutrient deficiencies in the biome that if they're not corrected, it causes biometric function to pervert. And, you know, the foundation of health should really start with these three, glycemic control, hormone balance, and nutrient deficiencies, some very key nutrient deficiencies. Um, and when these were absent, we would watch these present themselves as, as other etiologies. You know, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, Long-term deficiencies, clinical deficiencies in vitamin D3 you know, the sunshine vitamin. Um, uh, you know, remember that hu human beings, uh, we only make one vitamin. 
you know, our bodies don't manufacture vitamins. There's hundreds of vitamins floating around our bloodstream, but we are only capable of making one. So, which you know, one is that? Even creationism. Is that the even, vitamin D? Colocalciferol. Yeah, we make it from sunlight and cholesterol. So we either evolved to only be able to make one vitamin, or we were created to only make one vitamin. But yeah, you know, in either case, it's very, very important. And you know, D3 not only is a sunshine vitamin, but it's um, an important important calcium transport molecule. There is not a single cell in the entire biome that does not have a receptor site for D3, either a hormonal um, based receptor site or, you know, a vitamin site. Um, so as this, you know, vitamin gets deficient, um, you know, we'd see very commonly, um, you know, 65 year old female goes to a primary care physician, um, with a clinical deficiency in vitamin D3, but those symptoms actually manifest themselves as rheumatoid arthritis. Now, if you did a confirming blood diagnosis, if you did sedentary rates and confirmed it with a blood diagnosis, you'd see that the patient doesn't have rheumatoid arthritis. But when they sit in front of their physician and they say, you know, I've got pain um, that starts at the base of my skull and kind of goes down and works its way out to my shoulders, you know, my, my hips ache, my knees ache, you know, and lately it's kind of been tough to even make a fist. Um, you know, a lot of times the primary care doc will just jump right on that and say, you know what, 65-year-old female, you've got rheumatoid arthritis. I'm going to hit you with some high-dose prednisone, and I'm going to start you on corticosteroids. Basically and masking the problem. Not only masking the problem, but exacerbating the problem. Oh, because yeah. corticosteroids work for a period of time. But in our mortality space, we knew that patient had six years and one day, and they were going to have a joint replacement. Because wow. corticosteroids initially knock down inflammation, but long-term, they actually act like termites to the joint. They actually erode the joint. They eat it like termites. And then you wear the you know, friction-based cartilaginous surface off the inside of the joint, and then you have cartilage on cartilage. It's not really bone on bone. That's a misnomer. People think when the excruciating pain starts that the bone is touching. The bones aren't actually touching. You're actually to the cartilage pad that is full of the nerve endings because you've worn through the pad that's meant to um, right. you know, hold synovial fluid and create friction. You so, know, one of the things uh, personally, like, so I just had my wife uh, go through a blood test uh, and diagnostic with you guys as the, mm -hmm. you know, the first step. And yeah. um, one of the, I know one of the things that she does have a vitamin D deficiency. So she's, she's on, uh, you know, supplementation regimen, et cetera, with that. But like one of the things you just mentioned is one of her biggest, like her two biggest problems. I'm sure she'll love me talking about this on. Oh well, yeah, dude, you're scoring but, big points right now. Yeah. Man. But, <laughs> but it is literally the, um, the back and neck pain like from the neck and down into the scapula shoulder blade area yeah. like and now granted there are like uh, she's got a couple of like muscle knots that are just like ropes and she's had this right. for several years oh like, no question yeah and it, she's been to she's done like literally everything uh like every type of massage every type of like prp injection she's done everything she can think of to relieve it but she's constantly in pain and now I don't think she has any of the other uh, necessarily. She doesn't talk about her joints, like like hands and knees, yeah, etc. If it achy, then works its way to the joints. I mean, so the it's, the longer that deficiency um, you know exists, the more it continues to manifest itself. Just remember that you know as we take things away from the body, the body tries to find an end around. 
and eventually the function perverts. You know, the brain is like the master dictator. It's like the Kim Jong-un of dictators. It's literally yeah. ruthless. Um, if it needs calcium, it will go into the bone and it will literally leach it from the bone. If it needs amino acids, it will digest lean muscle tissue. Um, it's, the brain does not go without. So when there's deficiencies in certain nutrients like D3, and specifically what you're talking about, you know, D3 is, is also a calcium transport molecule, yeah. transports calcium around the bloodstream. And um, calcium is a cofactor in every myofibril contraction, whether it's cardiovascular muscle, smooth muscle in your arteries, or skeletal muscle. So as you get deficient in that cofactor, you have poor muscle contraction. You get poor muscle contraction, you have extended life of muscle spasms. And so, you know, the, the basic functions of health, if we were able to get it from the sun, I mean, that's how important it was. That we didn't want to leave it up to chance. So the truth is most of us are actually not getting enough sun. So you'll find that when you restore that foundation of the biometric pathway, you start fixing things upstream. So right. take, for example, you know, one of the biggest reasons people come in to see us is they say, I'm low on energy. You know, I lack energy, um, or I can't sleep, um, or I have you know, poor cognitive function, or um, you know, I want to improve my mental clarity, or my libido is off. Um, and all of those things, right? Energy, what, what we try to do is we try to take the symptom and convert it into what that means physiologically. So let's take energy, for example. You know, what is energy? I mean, what you perceive as energy, Brad, is really just oxygen in your blood. So if you said to me, Gary, I had a lot of energy today. Physiologically, what you're saying is I had a lot of oxygen in my blood today. So then you think, well, what carries oxygen? How does oxygen get around in the blood? Well, the red blood cell. Red blood cell has a protein inside of it called hemoglobin, binds oxygen. So if you're low on red blood cells and you're low on hemoglobin, you're going to be hypoxic. Your blood is not going to transport much oxygen. You are going to perceive that as a lack of energy. But when I look at the blood test, it says that I'm normal. Well, it says that your red blood cells are normal, but they're low. It says that your hemoglobin is normal, but it's low. So now you think of um, a red blood cell and hemoglobin as like a, like a tennis ball that has a fluid in it. And that fluid is where the oxygen is. So imagine if you had fewer tennis balls and then the few tennis balls that you had were only a half full of fluid. Well, now your test says you're low in both, but you don't realize the compounded effects is hypoxia. And hypoxia is like the root of all evil in the human biome. The Bible shouldn't say the love of money is the root of all evil. It should say hypoxia is the root of all evil. <laughs> I mean, um, because, you know, what happens when our blood's hypoxic? You know, take sleep, for example. We can't get into a deep delta wave of sleep. Um, and the reason why we can't get into a delta wave of sleep is think about what's happening when you sleep, right? If you, if you got up from your chair right now and you went for a brisk walk while you were listening to this podcast, without a second thought, your brain would sense the drop in oxygen in your bloodstream and it would automatically start to increase your cardiovascular rate. It would increase your respiratory rate to do what? To bring more oxygen into the bloodstream. So imagine now that you're sleeping and you're going from an alpha or beta wave of sleep into a nice deep delta wave of sleep. So what's happening? Your respiratory rate starting to slow down. Your blood is receiving less oxygen. If your blood is already hypoxic, not capable of carrying enough oxygen, and you start to breathe really shallow, guess what? You're becoming hypoxic as you get into a deep sleep. So now you're entering deep sleep and your brain looks at your blood oxygen and says, whoa, um, we're about to get hypoxic, so the brain wakes you up. 
How does the brain wake you up? It pulses cortisol. So these people have a tendency to go alpha, beta, and then bounce out of delta, alpha, beta, and bounce out of delta, alpha, beta, bounce out of delta. How does this, does this relate much to uh, people who have apnea? It's entirely related to sleep apnea. So okay. here's the problem, right? So people go to their doctor now and they say, well, I can't sleep. So what does the doctor do? Put you on a sleep med. What do sleep medications do? Diazepam, zolopedum, nitrate, um, you know, Ambien, Xanax, what have you. Um, they block the brain's view of the blood oxygen. So what does that mean? Now you're allowed to get into a delta wave of sleep, but you don't have enough oxygen. So you're literally suffocating while you sleep. You are severely hypoxic. And because you're taking a quote unquote sleep medication, your brain's not waking you up. Your, your defense mechanism has been severed. And so you wake up from having taken a sleep medication and you feel worse. You don't feel worse because of the lingering effects of the medication. You feel worse because of the effects of suffocation because you've been hypoxic. Right. And so this goes on for a long period of time and eventually it leads to mood disorders, um, mental disorders, it leads to poor concentration, brain fog, mood numbness, lack of mental clarity. And that's why depression follows sleep issues. They're almost hand in hand. Their etiology, you can line that etiology right up. But why not just fix the hypoxia? So if, if I was actually to trace that, those red blood cells and that oxygen all the way back into the root and say, okay, how do we restore this biometric chain? So my blood's not hypoxic. Well, we say, okay, what creates red blood cells in hemoglobin, the bone marrow? Well, what stimulates the bone marrow to produce healthy red blood cells and, and hemoglobin? It's called erythropoiesis. Um, your free testosterone in both men and women. You see a male or a female with clinically low free testosterone, I will show you a hypoxic male or female. That's why testosterone gives us energy. Testosterone has nothing to do with energy. It has everything to do with healthy red blood cell production. Healthy red blood cell production has everything to do with energy. So now you have low testosterone. Well, what gives you low testosterone? Well, let's look at the building blocks of testosterone, DHEA. Okay, well, um, if, if I have adequate levels of DHEA, what gives us DHEA? Vitamin D3. So the pathway goes from D3 to DHEA, to testosterone, to the bone marrow, to the red blood cell, to high oxygen, to high energy. So until that <laughs> pathway is restored, you're just running in circles. You know, you're talking about, well, um, why am I tired? And, and I'm taking a sleep medication, but I'm not getting better. I sleep more now, but I don't feel better because I suffocate at night and I suffocate during the day. And so, you know, what happens is most physicians are uh, looking for disease. They're looking for pathology. They're not looking for biometric function. When I teach a physician how to read a, a complete blood count, I teach them how to look for um, optimization, not for disease. Disease jumps out of the labs at you, right? I mean, disease is high, low. I mean, it just, it jumps right out off the page at you. Um, these kinds of etiologies are, are more subtle. But when you stack them together, they're very cumulative. So in the mortality industry, we knew to play on those things. I knew that if I had a, someone who was in a hypoxic state that didn't balance their hormones, that didn't correct their nutrient deficiencies, I knew that eventually that hypoxia would lead to acceleration of disease. And so we called it a comorbidity factor. And I would assign that person a faster rate of death.
And whoops, we just had a quick little audio glitch there. Uh, sometimes Zoom uh, kicks out on us, but Gary is back. Gary, I wanted to just interject here. Like, I do find this like super fascinating. Like, I've been working with you for months, and my wife just started to work with you, but I actually haven't even heard you tell the story in this way. So, for instance, you know, just with her divulging more of her private medical issues. But yeah, the two big issues that she always complains about are the um, the, the neck and back muscular knots issues that are chronic and mild sleep apnea. And then when just last week, I believe it was, she got her uh, blood panel results back from your team and talked, um, talk to your team in depth, which is one of the things I love about what you guys do about yeah. these areas. You're like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm very low on uh, vitamin D and testosterone. So um, I will say this, that if, if all of this works and we're able to provide her relief, especially at the back, yeah. she, she may leave me for you because <laughs> you're like the, the great savior, like, oh my gosh. But, um, but no, this is great. I mean, I know for a fact that, um, you know, zooming back out, um, chemistry is so important. Like our biochemistry is so important to our, not just our mood, our ability to perform. I mean, willpower doesn't mean shit if you're working on a, a really bad tank of gas. And no question. And like, and energy is only one part of it. So for instance, uh, there's several things I came to you for, and I, I like I'm an open book on this stuff. So uh, I'm taking several growth peptides. We can we can discuss this that help stimulate human growth uh, hormone production, but um, and I'm also on uh, testosterone replacement therapy. You know, I'm 45 years old, and I noticed over the course of the past several years. Um, multiple of those symptoms that come from low T. And by the way, it's really funny that when I start to talk, cause I'm an open book, like I, I'll talk through this about my friends and it's really funny. Like guys don't want to admit that they might have low testosterone, right. but the ones who do are the ones who are on replacement therapy. The minute you say you are they're like, Oh my gosh, I am too. I can't, I don't yeah. feel like I can tell people about it. Cause it's almost this, it feels like this affront to our manhood. Like, Oh, I've yeah. got low testosterone, but, and it, and it is funny that, like if I look back at the symptoms I've had over the past, I don't even know, six years or so that since I think I started noticing it, I had them all. And I would notice myself getting um, more anxious and moody mm -hmm. than I probably, uh, than I probably should. I, I'd worry about stuff that like, this is dumb. Like why yeah. am I kind of belly aching about this? I felt as though sometimes I didn't have as much swagger or as much confidence, uh, but it wasn't <clears throat> until I noticed issues in the bedroom going, you know, my wife is hot. We have a great relationship. I enjoy sex, but I don't have, a, I don't have the same drive and desire uh, as I used to. And I chalked that up to the fact that I've been with this woman for, you know, well, at the time, maybe seven, eight years. Now it's been, you know, like 13 years. And I was just like, well, that's the normal way that relationships go. You just don't want to have sex with your wife all the time. And it wasn't until that I started to realize that may, maybe that's not the case. And I got tested and I was like, I'll be damned. I've got low testosterone. And I started to get on treatments and started to work with you and started to realize that, well, A, yeah, there, there is a way to correct the hell out of that. Yeah, no <laughs> Another thing she would probably thank you for. Mm -hmm. But the other um, aspect is my mood, my energy, my mood, obviously my sleep, and just the amount of confidence and clarity that I go through the day with 
has dramatically improved ever since I started working with you and getting on these peptides and getting on the testosterone replacement. And, uh, you know, and it made me want to work out again. Like one of the biggest issues that I would have would be going to the gym and going through the motions and just like, I'd be lifting a weight going, I want to leave. I want to leave. There's probably something on Netflix. Oh, yeah. It is what's called a positive regression towards working out. Yeah. And yeah. now it's this, I need to lift more. My muscles like feed me Seymour, right? That, yeah. I love I that. Want, yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah it's like, oh no, I can't get like, I, I got to do one more set, one more rep, one more, one more, one more. And it's a, it's such a cool place to be. Cause I literally do feel like I did when I was like 20 years ago when I was in my early twenties. Um, but so this is just like my testimony that this is so critical that no matter you know, if you're an entrepreneur, if you an executive, you're, if, if your career depends upon high performance and you find yourself unable to do it, check your chemistry because man, I, I wish I would have done this a long time ago. Uh, and let's talk about some of the stuff that for instance, that I'm on. So uh, obviously I'm on testosterone replacement therapy. I do injections for people who want to know I've done the creams and the pellets, et cetera. And I like the injections the best. And, um, yeah, the, the, they're absolutely painless. But then uh, I, I think a lot of people kind of understand that at a, at a high level. Let's talk about the uh, growth peptides that you have me on, because I, I'd love to learn a little bit more about some of the mechanisms that make it work and why it's so effective and how it differs from like taking uh, human growth hormone injections, et cetera. Sure. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that. So, so um, you know, just to start with like the basic metrics of good biometric function. Right. I mean, before we start looking for pathology, um, we should make sure that the, you know, the, the biometric pathways are all there. Right. Do you have the right vitamins? Do you have the right nutrients? Do you have the right hormone balance? You know, is your blood sugar under control? Um, and then once you realize that everything that the body needs to operate optimally is present, well, then you can start to look for um, disease or pathology. So to that end, you don't ever want to replace good biometric function if you don't have to. So for example, and I'm working my way towards growth hormone peptides, but you know, take testicular production of testosterone. Not every man that's low on testosterone has an issue with their testicles, right? That's called primary hypogonadism. That's where the testicles can't produce testosterone. You have leg cell fatigue, um, or you have some other issue that's caused your um, um, the uh, uh, luteal cells in the testicles do not produce testosterone any longer. That's actually more rare than you would think. Um, more often than not, there's, a, there's an issue with the signal to the testicle, right? There's an issue with the volume knob, not an issue with the actual speaker. So you walk into a room and you hear the music playing and you go, wow, I can barely hear that. You turn the volume up and speakers play louder. There's no issue with the speakers, no issue with the testicles. It's a, there's an issue with the message to the testicles. So it's, it's, more, it's safer um, for the patient and more effective. Yeah, so we wanna restore that pathway so that you're high on your own supply, right? You're producing your own hormone because there is no better bioidentical hormone in the universe than one your body produces on its own. So now if you think about growth hormone, right? It's no different with growth hormone. When you take synthetic growth hormone from outside the body, and I love the term natural growth hormone. <laughs> um, natural is produced by your pituitary. Anything else is synthetic. So you take growth hormone from outside your body, you put it in, what happens? That means you artificially raise your level of growth hormone. And what does your body do? It sees that and says, whoa, I need to shut my production off. 
So as growth hormone rises in the bloodstream, and something called IGF-1 correspondingly rises in the bloodstream, the pituitary gland shuts off its production of growth hormone. The hypothalamus shuts off its signaling to the growth hormone. The brain shuts off its signal to the hypothalamus. And what you've done is you have upstream regulated that chain, right? Because the hierarchy of that chain goes brain, hypothalamus, pituitary gland, growth hormone. But when you try to reverse that, now what you're doing is you're replacing good biometric function. And what you're doing is you're telling that gland, you can retire, you don't need to work anymore, we'll take it from here. And so introducing those types of hormones in the body for very short periods of time generally don't have you know, demonstrative outcomes. But the longer you take them and the longer you shut down biometric function, especially in older adults, um, the more likely you are that that function won't return. So a growth hormone peptide, um, for the most part, takes two forms. They have the same outcome. The outcome is we're trying to stimulate the pituitary to produce more growth hormone. And that's the outcome. When, and that's more of your own natural growth hormone. And so um, growth hormone is pulsatile. There's usually three pulses of growth hormone throughout the day. They're called circadian pulses. Your largest pulse is at night. You have one in the morning and one in the afternoon. Some very minor ones throughout the day other than that. So if you're going to amplify any of the pulses, it's generally accepted that you want to amplify the evening pulse, the nighttime circadian pulse, because that will help you get into a delta wave of sleep. And that's when your body enters its most reparative phase. So the hormone peptides will take two forms. So one kind of walks up to the pituitary. It's like walking up to the stereo and turning it on, right? And music starts to play. And then the second one is um, turning up the volume. So the one begins the production of growth hormone, and the second one amplifies the amount of growth hormone. The reason why growth hormone peptides are generally considered safe is because for the most part, there are 22 chain amino acid sequences, and they are metabolites. So that means that your body recognizes them and metabolizes them in your bloodstream from anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes. And during that time, they bind for a very short period of time to the pituitary, cause a pulse of growth hormone, and then they are gone. Um, and the, the process of stimulating the pituitary repeatedly is, uh, and having the pituitary not desensitized to that signal is called tachyphylaxis. So growth hormone peptides have a uh, tendency to have a very low tachyphylactic um, threshold, I mean, I mean tachyphylactic outcome, meaning they can stimulate the pituitary over and over and over again um, with very little desensitization, especially when they're used in a five-day on, two-day off um, rotation. You know, <laughs> by, by, for what it's worth, I had been uh, just taking them seven days in a row. And then I just noticed uh, maybe about a month ago, I was like, oh, this says take five days on, two days off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, you, you have to do it for a long period of time for that to be an issue. But, yeah. um, you know, basically what will happen is the pituitary will just desensitize to the signal. You know, it's kind of like um, smelling a woman's perfume, you know, 30 minutes later, 20 minutes later. Yeah. If you're sitting right next to her, you can't smell it. So that's your olfactory distance. I want to zoom out a little bit on this. So one of the questions I have, I, some of these people may have as well. Um, I mean, I think, you know, we talked a little bit about testosterone. On the, the growth hormone releasing peptides, et cetera, um, first of all, it's not a quick fix. You don't take them and all of a sudden the next day you feel like Superman. It, I know that typically it takes, I mean, from what I've read and if, if, I, if I recall from our a previous conversation, it can take, what, 60, 90 days before you kind yeah, of- Yeah, I mean, it takes 10 days for the system to what they call normalize. So it starts listening to the signal. 
Um, yeah. And then you start increasing the pulses. Right. What are some of the what are some of the general uh, effects that people should start to feel if, if assuming the rest of their body is kind of healthy, they don't have a vitamin D deficiency and, or that, you know, they get that taken care of, et cetera. What are some of the overall uh, health benefits that people can feel uh, from things like oh, this? And one of the things for me, and just to interject before you, before you start, because like for me, I don't know, because I now I'm on, like I'm on, I was on the BPC-157, I was on the testosterone and then these, and I feel great, but I don't know what's causing what, but just like <laughs> assume. Yeah. Like I like the holistic effect, but like of the, the growth hormone stuff, like what, what are some of the effects that people- Yeah, I mean, they're, they're all peptides. BPC, not, not to get ultra specific, but it's not a growth hormone peptide. It's a yeah. gastric pentadecapeptide. It's specific to- connected tissue, ligaments, sure. tendons, cartilage, are mainly connected tissue, um, because it, it uh, excites a type of cell within that tissue called a fibroblast. Um, so for injuries and you know, tennis elbows, and sore knees, backs, hips, necks, um, BPC-157 is unbelievable um, for leaky gut, irritable bowel, ulcers. Um, it's actually synthesized from gut lining. Um, so it, like I said, it's a gastric Pentadecapeptide. It's a uh, right. um, it's a gastric peptide, but um, and then like the samorolin, ipamorolin, etc. That the growth yeah, hormone. Samorolin and ipamorolin is a perfect example of a GHRP and a GHRH, a growth hormone releasing peptide and a growth hormone releasing hormone, an on-off switch and a volume knob. And when they're when they're used in conjunction with one another, um, again, not to be hyper specific, but they they penetrate the negative feedback response. You know, everything in our bodies has a thermostat, right? You set the thermostat at 70 degrees, temperature rises, trips the thermostat, and the heat shuts off. As the temperature falls, it trips the thermostat, and the heat shuts back on. You know, we have those types of thermostats inside the body. Um, they're referred to as feedback loops, negative feedback loops. How do you stop a gland from producing what it's designed to produce? You send a negative signal, um, you know, a negative feedback signal to shut the gland off. And so that negative feedback signal is called somatostatin. And if you only use one type of peptide, so morlin, for example, on its own, you're very likely to have little, if any, effect at all, because you, you're not going to be able to bind to the pituitary in the presence of that somatostatin. But um, assuming, and I know probably people are not that interested in the details, but um, so uh, when you when you're on a growth hormone peptide, um, you know one of the things that our own natural growth hormone does is <clears throat> it fosters something called muscle hyperplasia, um, which is very different than muscle hypertrophy, right? I mean, the whole reason why we go to the gym is to tear muscle. That's the whole objective of going to the gym. So you go to the gym, you tear muscle, and what happens? The muscle grows back larger. That's called muscle hypertrophy. But if you were to go to the gym and tear muscle and the muscle grew back larger and then new tissue formed around that tear, that's called muscle hyperplasia. A hyperplastic effect is where new tissue is beginning to grow. And that's why people that take um, growth hormone, which I don't um, recommend at all, um, under just about any case, um, or a growth hormone peptide, um, experience like animal gains in strength, you know, become animal strong, defined. Um, it also helps um, speed up the, the fatty acid pathway. So you find it more easy to mobilize and metabolize fat. 
So you said, I wanna, I wanna interject here just so that I have clarity on this. So that hyperplasia is when the new tissue forms around the muscle, like after the tear around the muscle. I, I know hypertrophy is the growth of it, but is that, is yeah, hypertrophy, hypertrophy, is that a result of hyperplasia? Um, no, hyperplasia is a result of a muscle tear. So, so the muscle tears, grows back larger. That's a hypertrophic effect. If you have a growth hormone peptide and it's in the presence of a muscle tear, it'll actually spark new um, tissue growth. It will not only repair the existing tissue, it will provide an, uh, an, an additional tissue matrix to support that tear. So remember, growth hormone is, is very reparative. It's highly anabolic. Um, so um, you know, it, can, it can cause uh, that tissue not only to repair itself, but to actually grow new tissue. And that's why you know, muscles get bigger faster. That's why uh, strength gains come a lot sooner. Um, and it's why generally people experience a lean muscle mass. Also, you, you think about the, the etiology of collagen production. Collagen grows in the skin in 14-week cycles, right? If you put collagen under a microscope, it would look like, um, kind of like the weave on outdoor furniture, you know, like that, that kind of woven look. And so if you catch a collagen cycle on a peptide, um, you know, there's a lot of research that indicates and punch biopsies that indicate that it will increase the diameter of the collagen fiber. It will increase the con concentration of elastin. So it will be more elastic. It'll be thicker. It'll be more dense. Um, the weave will be tighter. And what that does, it makes you take on a more youthful appearance, right? Um, you know, some of my celebrity patients are big fans of growth hormone peptides because makes you, you know, have, take on a more youthful appearance. Now you want to make sure you get a blood test. You want to make sure you get your IGF-1 levels checked because what you don't want to do is push your IGF-1 level, um, you know, into a hypertherapeutic range. So if you have the room in those levels, um, you know, then, then you can you know, talk to your doctor about the peptides. Right. Let's talk about some of this, like, let's talk about Streamline Medical Group and some of the other things you do. Like we've gotten awesomely specific here yeah yeah <laughs> some of this stuff i and love the science man like i'll eat your face with the science <laughs> and i love it i love it because you know there's so many directions i want to take this but i mean um there's a lot of biohackers out there and people just playing around and trying right. something see if it works etc like the super amateur then there's the super hardcore like methodical scientific ones like ben greenfields of the world oh i love ben greenfield yeah yeah. yeah. And then, but then there's people who uh, like, and like, those are maybe the two extremes. And obviously you're, you work on the, the one with the people who actually want to take a really um, scientific medical based approach to this, not just guessing and, you know, guessing and seeing oh, how. No question. In fact, one of my favorite quotes about the blood work is that I love the blood work for what's not in it. And what's not in your bloods is somebody else's opinion. And so there are lots of opinions out there. Um, and when you read blood work, even if I read your blood work, it's not my opinion. I happen to be a subject matter expert at interpreting it, but it's still not my opinion. So it's like you get to sit down with the body and interview the body. Say, what do you need? You know, what can I do for you? What are you missing? What, what can I give you so that you can function optimally? And if you ask it the right questions through the right blood biomarkers, it will give you the right answers. And if you listen, then you can have demonstrative changes. I mean, I tease some of my patients. I say, look, in 10 weeks, you're going to be a superhuman. 
I mean, you just are, you're going to sleep more deeply. You're going to be, you're going to have better cognitive function. You're going to see your lean muscle mass improve. Your libido is going to go through the roof. Um, your, um, your waking energy is going to improve. Uh, you know, you're just your, your overall mood and your outlook. And then you watch that start to touch all the other touch points in their life. I mean, you take a passionate entrepreneur and marry their physiology with their passion. You're talking about an unstoppable force. I mean, my partner. Absolutely. Brandon, oh. I mean, I know that for a fact that 45 years old, I compare the amount of drive, endurance, perseverance, et cetera, that I had, you know, just 10 years ago. And uh, like 10 years ago, when I was really kind of starting off uh, as an entrepreneur in this field, little over 10, um, it was like, I was just go, 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 et cetera. And anymore, I'm not like that. Now, granted, I was a lot hungrier than mm-hmm. I am now. But at the same time, I know that like, I just don't have, I don't have the drive and the energy oh, for that. Yeah. Although in the past six months or so, I've, I've had a lot more renewed. Yeah, let's get up and go. Yeah. Um, when your physiology yeah. supports your passion, it's unstoppable. I mean, it's just unstoppable. Um, and vice I mean, versa. I, and vice versa. Yeah. If your physiology stops it, I mean, you just no, you can't think straight. You can't think clearly. You can't think creatively. You don't handle stress as well. You know, there's a lot of um, and well, the one thing we know is entrepreneurs, executives, anybody who's you know got a job that requires high performance. I mean, stress is part of the game. Yeah, agreed. I mean, yeah. I totally, totally agree. I mean, sick, fat, tired people don't build empires. You know, I mean, so um, and that's not to try to make a slight on sick, fat, tired people, no, but they don't. The, it's... the idea is when you're, you know, when your physiology begins to fail you, um, it begins to fail every other touch point in your life. Yeah, it really does. So the process by, you know, when people are working um, with you guys, like I know the first thing I did was uh, I did a blood test, blood analysis, and um, I had a, gr- a great interview with, uh, was it, is it, Cindy, who's the one who, who's your? Yeah, Cindy, um, our, she's our head PA. Yeah, yep. She, that is, was, she is a, yeah. That was awesome. And you know, I've had blood tests before. <laughs> yeah, sure. And I've had blood tests before by doctors, my general yeah. practitioner. And I've sat down and it lasts the, their um, five minutes. And they go, oh, you got like high cholesterol or something like that. And then that's it. And this yeah. was awesome. I think we sat down over uh phone call for like an hour, hour and a half and just went through methodically everything. And it really is kind of cool to see. Like, luckily I'm like 90% of my stuff was in the right range and the other stuff that wasn't, she gave me an amazing protocol. Uh, Some of them were the uh, prescriptions that Mm -hmm. I bought from you guys. Some of them were just like, Hey, here's a, here's a kind of a hydration and water, um, you know, protocol to, to get better hydrated and here and do this and do this and do this. I mean, it's way better than anything that I've gotten from any doctor or general practitioner that I've ever seen. And um, so I know that that's really typically the first step and you're across the country. You're like 3000 miles away. Like right now you're in Naples, Florida. I'm in San Diego. So it's not location, you know, dependent, No, uh, no, you know, to work with somebody like you guys do you, okay when it comes to the business of streamline like do you do you have a unique selling proposition is there any is there any reason to go you know to you guys versus to go down the street to the local anti-aging clinic i mean hopefully people who are listening to this uh, and i know that this was one of the things that sold me on you uh, even though the fact that you're a country away is the fact that like 
from talking to you, I know that you know your shit. So yeah. that made me feel really good. And hopefully the, the listeners are going, oh yeah, if, I, if I've been considering this, maybe I should talk to Gary as well. But is there anything else that kind of Streamline does that is maybe a little bit more unique or beneficial, et cetera, kind of setting you apart from the litany of other uh, companies that kind of pop up to offer? Good question. I mean, I, I think, I think um, the, uh, you know, the, the, the real selling proposition for us is the continuity of care. Um, so I'm not a physician, I'm a human biologist. My undergraduate degrees are in biology. My postgraduate degrees are in human biology. So I can't prescribe medication. Um, even though I train physicians to read laboratory reports, um, I still can't prescribe medication. So we've built an unbelievable allopathic team that spans the country. Uh, we are in eight states, I want to say now, with nine offices and nine offices in six states. And by the end of the year, we'll have uh, 14 offices in eight states. Nice. Um, and what we want to do is if a, if a patient ever breaks the plane of the door, one of our clinics, or um, has an experience with a friend of theirs who's a patient of Streamline Medical Group, if they live in a different state, we don't want to have that stop them from being able to be treated. And so we use the LabCorp um, system nationwide. There's probably a LabCorp within two miles of where everyone listening to this exactly. podcast is sitting. I mean, they're on every corner. There's usually one within five miles of every emergency room um, in the country. So um, we write the script to a LabCorp. Um, we have a physician license the state of residence of that patient. I'll write the script to LabCorp and then the patient goes into uh, LabCorp in their hometown, gets their blood work done. A few days later, it populates our system. And the analysis that those physicians go through or that um, patient advocate goes through or the PA goes through with the patient has been heavily, heavily, heavily nuanced um, by myself and the clinical team. So the continuity of care, if you were to go into any one of those individual offices or you were to talk to a patient in Michigan and a patient in Florida and a patient in New York that had the same symptomology, they're being treated exactly the same way. Um, and that's so that we just don't have people trying to just conceive things without having the latest scientific support for what they do. Um, I really believe in the simplicity of the basic functions of health. Because all too often, we're on these micro journeys, right? I, um, you know, you, you read all these articles about somebody discovered this rare root in, deep in the Amazon jungle, and it's 40 feet underground. You got to cut it, and boil it, and slice it. And that's the secret to health. That's the superfood well, of health. Actually, it sounds so, like the secret to psychedelic visions, but. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> But meanwhile, they're hyperglycemic, they have no vitamin D3, and the hormones are floored out. And, you know, we're, when we're talking about neurotropics and telomere lengths, and, and we do all of those things, but not in the absence of good foundational health, right? So, you know, if you're going to, you know, have a car and you want to drive it for hundreds of thousands of miles, you got to always have good air pressure. Right? You have a phenomenal, phenomenal engine, and you can change the oil every three months like clockwork. If you never change the tires, it doesn't matter what happens to the engine. It's the same thing with biometric health. Right? Sometimes we get into the micro nuances of health, and we ignore the actual roots that are supporting the tree. Right? Most of my patients, when I open their supplement cabinet, it's like turmeric and curcumin and salt palmetto and uh, CoQ10 and this form of ubiquinol and DHEA. And I say, just out of curiosity, what do you take this for? What do you take this for? Most of the time they don't know. Mm -hmm. And if they do know, it's always because someone else told them to take it, right? Well, my friend, he had a shoulder ache and he took turmeric and his shoulder stopped hurting. So my hip hurt, now I take turmeric. 
okay. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, and so, and bro science, you could know, take that for everything. So why don't we not even take my opinion? Why don't we ask your body a couple of questions, find out what it needs, first give it what it needs, improve the foundational health of good biometric function. Now we can start fine tuning. Now I can run an ALCAT test, a micronutrient test. We can do telomere testing. Um, we can do fecal stool samples and look at your gut biome. We can do neurotropics and really tune in your memory. But if you're taking neurotropic and you're already hypoxic, it's like, it's like tuning in the radio when you're 40 miles offshore on a boat and it's sinking yeah. and you're trying to dial in the radio station. It's like, hey, you got to really fix the leak in the hull because you're going to sink, not tune in the radio. So sometimes we get lost in the complexity of the biome. And so what we try to do is bring things back to the foundational roots. You right. show me tree that has healthy roots, gets adequate water and good um, uh, nutrients, good fertilizer, I will show you a healthy tree, right? Now, can a worm attack the leaf? Can, can the wind break it? You know, can it get hit by lightning? Sure. But those are all things that are in the absence of biometric health. And if you look at the etiology of disease, most disease pathology is born out of simple absence of biometric function, right? Or the perversion of function because we're trying to stop the body from doing what it does best, right? You give a statin to the liver to stop the production of cholesterol, but you still give the stimulus to the liver to produce cholesterol. So it's like, listen, I don't know what to do. One boss is telling me to produce cholesterol, but this pharmaceutical over here is choking me every time I try to produce it. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pervert my function to try to do my job. And now you get organ dysfunction, you get decay, you get disease, you get all of those types of things. I mean, all of the real good science in anti-aging, longevity, um, and, and mental health clarity is all now getting inside the cell. Anti-aging is an intracellular process inside the mitochondria. How do we power the Krebs cycle, the electron transport chain? How do we get these motors of which there are thousands inside of each mitochondria and there are thousands of those inside of each cell? How do we improve those functions? But first, before we go talking about nicotinamide adenine dinucleotides and um, you know, NAD and um, nicotinamide riboside and all of these you know, very, very, very hyper-specific ways to tune in optimal health. We got to see if you're adequately hydrated, if your hormones are balanced, if your nutrient deficiencies are, are cured, and if you've got good glycemic control. Let's get that out of the way. Now we'll start walking on that journey and eventually just keep becoming more and more and more superhuman. I mean, well, what I love about this entire conversation and your approach to it, I mean, there's a, anybody who, you know, who's paid attention understands that we don't have a healthcare system in this, a traditional healthcare system in this uh, country. Um, we have a, you know, the, the sick care, and it's not even a sick care, it's a, a symptom care is really, it seems like what we've got. I mean, I know I've been to the, I, I've been fortunate not to have a lot of health issues throughout my life, but I, I have genetically kind of high, higher cholesterol. And I've got, you know, I've had a handful of little things wrong with me in the past. And I've been to many general practitioners in the past. And I, I just remember being really blown away by one time my, you know, my um, cholesterol was just marginally high and immediate, like not even talking to me. There wasn't a single question about my diet, no blood, no other blood tests, you know, uh, biomarkers were discussed. It was immediately, here's a prescription for statins. Here's this. And it was like, without any thought, it was just take this, do this, et cetera. And 
I mean, and I didn't, I, I, I tore up the statin thing. I did okay. change my diet yeah. and I'm like, yeah. no, I like, you're not even going to, you're not even going to consult with me on this. And uh, I, I love doctors. They do great work for certain things, but they don't do the work. They don't have the discussions that you're having with us right now. And yeah, I mean, it's critical. Cholesterol is a great example. I mean, um, cholesterol is one of the most maligned substances in the human body. Um, most of us have a very poor understanding of what cholesterol really is. In fact, when I tell patients that there is actually zero, zero clinical evidence to support elevated levels of LDL cholesterol on their own being a risk factor for cardiovascular disease, they look at me like I'm crazy. Oh, there because that's what the mainstream says, yeah. single double-blind peer-reviewed study done anywhere in the world that says that high levels of LDL cholesterol cause cardiovascular disease. However, high levels of LDL cholesterol with elevated levels of triglycerides are a huge marker for cardiovascular disease. Why? Because cholesterol is not a fuel, fuel source. We can't use cholesterol for fuel. Okay, our bodies can't burn it and create energy. It's a waxy substance that floats around the bloodstream, wrapped in a fat, and it's and it's used to build the cell walls of every cell in our body. It's used to create almost every hormone in the entire human biome. And so it's a necessary tool for construction. And in its absence, the quality of the construction declines. In its presence, the quality of the construction proliferates. In fact, now you're gonna to start to see studies going the opposite direction. Elevated levels of LDL cholesterol with low triglyceride are actually markers for longevity, not for um, early demise. We didn't have a single comorbidity factor for high cholesterol. Not once. Really? I never used cholesterol by itself to predict mortality. Right, I used it's cholesterol a... with elevated triglycerides to predict it all the time. Um, and that has to do, and I'm not going to go into a whole bit, you know, because I'll divert on cholesterol because I can get on my soapbox about it, but it has to do with the particulate size of the cholesterol, right? Yep. Elevated levels of LDL cholesterol and elevated levels of triglyceride mean generally that the cholesterol um, and the able lipoprotein are very tiny. And the small particulate cholesterol is really dangerous. That's what penetrates the arterial wall, gets eaten by a macrophage, and causes, um, causes uh, inflammation. And inflammation is also the root of all evil. <laughs> yeah, it's what hardens the arteries, and it's what keeps them from being able yeah. to absorb everything else. Yeah, I remember years ago... I, inflammation and atherosclerosis. Yeah, I remember years ago, years ago I, um, I read the book, and then I interviewed uh, the author, uh, Johnny Bowden, of... Um, uh, the great cholesterol myth. And it really opened my eyes on things yeah. like that. Like once more, we won't go down this uh, rabbit trail too far, but I think if I remember correctly, they were saying something about how, um, you know, there was, I, it, I might be misspeaking here, but it was like, okay, 50% of the heart attack patients had elevated cholesterol, but 50% absolutely did not. And like, you cannot say causation is correlation with 50% of the people don't have it. It's like, uh, you know, it went on to talk about other things. Yeah, exactly. Just, just talking about like elevated, just generally elevated cholesterol, which is what 99% of the population hears. Oh, you've got high cholesterol, you're, you must be at risk. It's like, that's not really the entire story. Yeah. But it, it kind of goes back to the comment that kind of took us down this path, which is I just love the fact that this really is health care and optimal health care. And, you know, we don't have to age 
I mean, there's a term of aging gracefully, but what does gracefully mean? Does that mean like the slow, steady decline or yeah. like I'd like to age gracefully, meaning like as little as possible yeah. <laughs> and maintain energy and vitality and, uh, you know, appearance as long as yeah. possible. And I don't think we have to, we haven't cured you have, we haven't cured aging yet. Who knows yeah. if we ever will? But there's definitely some ways to. Well, I mean, aging is the is the is the worst disease in America. I mean, aging leads to everybody a lot of disease morphology. But but the, the the question is, you know, why are we aging so fast and why are we aging so poorly? I mean, this was the first time in a ten year update of um, mortality um, and the variable basic table that mortality is actually going backwards. Right. right. So um, and what's happening in America's, we are the number one spender of healthcare dollars in the world. We are the top spender on healthcare in the world. And by a large margin, we spend more on healthcare than any other country on the planet. But we are 28th in terms of our quality of care. Mm -hmm. And I'll read to you something. This is really mind numbing. I had to actually go look this up myself because I could not believe it when I read this. Yeah. But this was um, Medicare put out a circular. You might have heard of this. It got a lot of buzz. I think they um, probably considered this a mistake, but it's in the um, it's in their circular guidelines for every Medicare booklet. So every Medicare patient gets a copy of this. It's their section twenty two five one point three in their circular, and it says a treatment plan that seeks to prevent disease, promote health, or prolong and enhance the quality of life, or any therapy that's performed to maintain or prevent the deterioration of a chronic condition is deemed not medically necessary. And therefore, now who thinks that putting 100 million people on that is gonna save us? <laughs> you know, wow. Just, there's no question that is not gonna save this country. You'll have to, you'll have to send me- these are prolonged life. What was that called again? Cause I wanna look that up or you'll Medicare have to- Medicare guidelines, comma, section 2251.3, you will, absolutely fall out of your seat any <laughs> like, just the you? first line any treatment plan that seeks to prevent disease is not what was the and what was the final line is or not promote medical. health or prolong or enhance the quality of life so we don't want to prolong life we don't want to enhance the quality of life we certainly don't want to promote health and we do not want to prevent disease that's the opening line. And then it goes on to say, or any therapy that's performed to maintain or prevent the deterioration of a chronic disease. You want to see proof? Just go to the American Diabetic Association website, right? What is type 2 diabetes? Poor glycemic control over a lifetime causing the pancreatic production of insulin to collapse and now you're insulin dependent. So if you said to me, Gary, write me a diet so that I would be dependent on insulin, I would write you the exact diet that is on the American Diabetic Association website. Why? Because I, I'd give you high glycemic carbohydrates. I'd have you start the day with orange juices, and, you know, yogurt with fruit on the bottom and cinnamon granolas and all kinds of high glycemic carbohydrates so that you would skyrocket your blood sugar so that you would then have to take a dose of insulin. And then of course your blood sugar is gonna come down. So you need to eat more high glycemic carbohydrates to make it rise. Right. And then you need to bring it down and make it rise. So you, so you create a dependency you know, we walk people back from type 2 diabetes and prediabetes all the time in this clinic. My clinical team wow. does it on a regular basis. But, you know, and you, you do a prescription ketogenic diets. You know, you, um, you know, the body doesn't necessarily have to depend on insulin. So why aren't we teaching people to get off of the dependency on insulin 
instead on the bride that insulinogenic chain. You know, calcium channel blockers and all sorts of things that are given for different things like high blood pressure and all that accelerate bone mineral loss and take people that have the possible uh, potential for fractures in 12 years to have fractures in two years are as commonplace as multivitamins, right? I mean, most of us know a grandmother or know an elderly woman or have heard of an elderly woman, you know, falling and breaking her hip. But the truth is that's not really what happens. Um, what happens is their hip breaks and then they fall, mm. right? So grandma's actually washing dishes, standing at the counter and her hip breaks and then she falls. Why? Because osteoporosis attacks the femoral neck, right? Right where the femur goes into the ball and socket joint of the hip. That's the highest stress joint in the body. When the skeletal system can no longer support its own weight, that we used to call that the triangle of death. And people wow. go, I don't get it. My grandma fell and broke her hip and she was, you know, she was gone in 24 months. Yeah, because- Yeah, it, it actually wasn't the hip break, right? That's the whole thing. People think, oh, they broke their hip, they're not mobile, they're not doing that. It's like, no, it was, that was a symptom, not a cause. That was a symptom of how frail her skeletal system was that it couldn't even support its own weight. Yeah. I mean, the fastest race cars have the stiffest chassis, right? As you compromise the chassis, you compromise function. So if you went from carbon fiber to steel to aluminum to rubber, the function would degrade each time you took a step down. If you went the opposite way and you went from a rubber chassis to a carbon fiber chassis, well, now all of a sudden you'd be improving performance. You know, one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of this OsteoStrong franchise is proliferating all over the country is because they're returning bone density back to commonplace America, right? That's the, we, we don't think about bone density and bone health as, as a foundation of health, but everything in our body attaches to a skeletal system. So when you start micro tearing away from that chassis, when the bolts start getting loose on the car, well, it can have the prettiest coat of paint on it and you can put rocket fuel in the engine or rocket fuel in the tank. But if everything's not bolted tightly to that chassis, it's gonna start to rattle apart. And that's right. eventually what happens. Periosteal things start to sag, the periosteum starts to peel off, you know, joints get more laxicity, synovial fluid leaks out, you know, just on and on. And, and again, it comes back to just the basics of biometric function. I grab people a lot of time and shake them, right? You know, I have you know, overweight, overweight people that have poor diets, that um, are not exercising, that have a myriad of symptoms, coming in to talk to me about neurotropics or about the best vitamin supplement and asking me if this is a good product or that's a good product. And I say, listen, let's not even talk about whether a product is well manufactured or not, or whether it's a good product or a poor product until we know what our body needs. Yeah. It's the wrong conversation at the yeah. wrong time, or it could even be the right conversation, but at the wrong time, yeah. um, different, uh, slightly different subjects. So, Proper healthcare, working with you, uh, your team, working with anybody like you, whether or not it's Streamline Medical or, uh, you know, a similar firm, it's not cheap, number one, right? It's not like, oh, you know, you're going to go take, you know, a pack of multivitamins. I know I invest, granted, I, it's not, it, it hasn't been like ridiculously expensive either, so I'm not complaining about that. But you know what's not cheap? Cancer. Yeah. Well, they talk about one of the greatest sayings. This is one of the reasons I was bringing this up is, you know, spend, you know, invest in health now or, or spend money on sickness later or make time for health now, or you'll have to make time for sickness later. Or if you think health is expensive, you should see how much sickness costs. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is everything. The other, the other, uh, one of my other favorite 
quotes regarding health is that the man with his, the man with his health has a million dreams. The man without his health has one, right? Yeah. Just to get that health back. And I know that's so true. Um, when it comes to the financial aspect of this, I know, you know, you guys offer solutions that are extremely affordable. And then obviously there's some things if people want to go hog wild and just dial it in, it can get, you know, more expensive. Uh, right. First question, I know this is a common question. Uh, do you guys take insurance? Uh, is that, is it in some cases or not? I, I know that this was one of the first things my wife asked me, well, do they take yeah. insurance? Yeah. Um, so we don't take insurance um, because insurance usually doesn't reimburse most of the services we have. Yeah. We found it very, very frustrating for the patient um, when we started out and we actually did take insurance and we would call Blue Cross Blue Shield and ask if the procedure was covered. They said yes. And then we would have four different patients come in with Blue Cross Blue Shield. But one has a copay and no deductible. One has a deductible and no copay. One has no copay, no deductible, but has limitations on their network of physicians and and just ad nauseum ad nauseum ad nauseum and you spend more time negotiating with the insurance company than you do practicing to help the patient and yeah. at the end of the day it ends up being more expensive for the patient so for example if you took our um lab panel and you just printed it out and walked in the front door of lab corp and said i want this panel lab corp is going to charge you 1300 bucks um, if you take that same panel and walk in and say, hey, bill Streamline um, and allow Streamline to bill you, we're going to bill you $295 for the same panel. And so, 295 versus 1300 There's a big difference there. And I'd be happy to post this online and you're welcome to take the panel in tomorrow to Labor and try it for yourself. I've had plenty of patients do it. Yeah. Um, well, that's, and, that's exactly what I did, by the way. So Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, what you, that's what you paid. And then, um, so that's your out of pocket. It's 295 bucks. You get a full panel. You get the get on the phone. And I, I'm, I, I want to say too, I didn't really get on this podcast to, to, to sell the, the company. I'm happy you're giving us the opportunity. Oh, no, I don't mind. I don't mind giving you I, a nice I prefer to be more informational. Like on my Instagram, I just do nothing but teach and, and educate. But um, uh, in any case, you know, you, you, you pay $295 and you get about an hour, hour and 15 minute consult. Um, you get something called the Streamline 360 which is all of your biomarkers that tell you exactly what you need to do to be optimal. Um, and it's very simple. Green means go, yellow means caution, red means stop, and let's get this addressed. I promise you, if you address the basics of biometric function and you optimize your, your biome, optimize your health profile, control the glycemic index, balance the hormones, cure the nutrient deficiencies, now you've started your journey towards optimal health. Right. I mean, and I can't emphasize enough, you know, we talked a little bit about hormones and some of the nutrient deficiencies like D3 and the B vitamins and what have you. But the, but the glycemic control is something that goes unnoticed by um, a lot of physicians. And again, it hides in the medical records. Prediabetes jumps out. Diabetes jumps out. Insulin resistance jumps out. But the building blocks of those are not as apparent to a lot of untrained um, practitioners. Um, and, and glycemic control is, is the leading cause of cognitive decline. You know, yeah. most countries outside of America, I mean, every country in the world has Alzheimer's and dementia, but some of them, very many of them don't call Alzheimer's and dementia, Alzheimer's and dementia. They call it what it is. They call it type three diabetes. Right? Really? Oh, no question. When we get done this podcast, just Google type three diabetes and look at all the peer-reviewed clinical research that 
inexorably links insulin resistance in the brain to the buildup of amyloid plaques and early onset dementia, right? Because, you know, the, the modern science of modern medicine has a very, you're Googling it right now, aren't you? <laughs> I am. <laughs> you're awesome. Yeah, type 3 diabetes. Um, but, you know, it has this really, really strange uh, uh, sort of notion that the brain is here and the body is here, and somehow the two of those are not connected. Right, so you can have disease and pathology going on in the body, but it's not affecting cognitive function. That is the most laborious thing I've ever heard in my life. Right, you see all of that, see all the type three diabetes um, articles. So, so what happens in insulin? I do see this right here. This is out from the uh, the uh, what what is the site? The uh, main one, the National Library of Medicine, National Institute oh, of Health. Um, yeah, conclusion, first sentence altogether. The results of these studies provide strong evidence in support of the hypothesis that Alzheimer's disease represents the form of diabetes mellitus that selectively afflicts the brain. And it goes on talking no about question. And nerdy stuff like that you could probably read easily. No, but dude, dude, I've read every one of those. I mean, trust me, you're like, I'm, see, I'm moving around my chair. You're like, you're, you're exciting me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I read peer-reviewed journals like people play tennis, man. I read yeah. them for sport. I love this stuff. But you, you think about, you know, most of us are familiar with insulin resistance in the body, right? Because yeah. what happens when we're insulin resistant in the body? You get, or you have diabetes, you get peripheral neuropathy. That's one of them. And, and most of us have heard of peripheral neuropathy, the tingling numbness in the feet and the toes. It can eventually lead to amputations. Well, what is that? Well, what it is, is elevated levels of glucose and insulin irritate the endings of the nerve, the distal ends of the nerve, right? Myelin hates high glucose and hates high insulin. Myelin is the covering. Myelin sheath is the covering over a nerve. Well, the only reason why our brain knows that tissue is there is because a nerve tells the brain that there's tissue there right? Or we'd be pumping blood out the end of our toes. But a nerve tells the brain to stop the arteries right here. Um, so what happens is the, the nerve endings start to get irritated. And when a nerve gets upset enough, it recedes, it backs up. Well, underneath of the nerve is the artery. And when the nerve backs up, guess what else backs up? The artery backs up. When the artery backs up, that tissue doesn't get any nutrients and the tissue dies. Tissue necrosis, gangrene, amputation. So we know that process. I mean, most of us will accept that that occurs. So just think for a moment what's happening in the brain, right? But in the brain, the nerves are more sensitive because in most areas of the brain, the nerves don't touch. In fact, the nerves come up and it looks like the frayed end of a cord. And then there's a gap and there's another frayed cord and the signal needs to jump across that gap. It's called a neurosynaptic junction. Okay, so the signal travels along one, um, you know, one road, gets to the end and jumps a gap into the other nerve, okay? At one end is your conscious. At the other end is your memory. And here is where most people go wrong thinking about Alzheimer's and dementia. In early onset Alzheimer's and dementia, people do not lose their memory. They lose access to their memory. And there's a big difference. Mm. There's a big difference. How do they lose access to their memory? Well, that junction begins to fill up with amyloid plaques. What's an amyloid plaque? Well, the brain is the most voracious consumer of carbohydrate, right? Most people don't realize that aside from the pancreas, the brain can actually make its own insulin. It consumes so much carbohydrate. Remember I told you how nasty it is? Like the honey badger of organs, right? Oh, yeah. It takes everything for itself. So the brain consumes so much carbohydrate that it can make its own insulin. What happens when it becomes insulin resistant? It has no place to store carbohydrate. 
in the body, we store it in the liver as glycogen. We store it in the muscles as glycogen, right? Through glycogenogenesis. But in the brain, we don't have a place to store it. So we pack it into the neurosynaptic junction. That's where it stuffs the, the excess sugars in the form of an amyloid plaque. So as those plaques start to build up, we start losing our keys. Can't find our wallet. And then they stack up more. Now I'm parking in my neighbor's driveway and they stack up more. Now I can't find my cell phone, but I find it in the freezer, right? And it continues to stack up. Now I'm forgetting the people that I've worked with for the last three, four, five years. Yeah. Eventually and I'm they're there, but like, I, and that's a big, that's a big difference too. They're, like the memories, the cognition is there. You just can't access them. It's like, you got a bunch of boxes in the, uh, it's, it's like a hoarder's house, right? Like you, yeah, yeah. I, there's a living room here, but it's just all stacked up with shit. I can't see the couch. So guess what happens when you take their glycemic index to zero? Guess what happens when you put them on a prescription ketogenic diet? You remove all insulin stimulus from the body. You start to produce beta-hydroxybutyrate. You start to express sirtuins. You start to actually metabolize um, um, ketone bodies as a fuel source. The brain will metabolize those plaques right out of the neurosynaptic junction. Why is it that diabetics are nine times more likely to get Alzheimer's than the average population? But there's no link between blood sugar and Alzheimer's. It's crazy, right? So if we can, if a pathology can grow, it can reverse. So if you look at, you know, early stage Alzheimer's and dementia, and you use aggressive glycemic control, intermittent fasting, caloric restriction, um, ketogenic dieting, expression of beta-hydroxybutyrate and other ketone bodies, and you, and you metabolize those plaques out of the neurosynaptic junction, you can have cognitive function return like that. Why? Because they never lost the memory. They never lost it. Just couldn't access it. And I told a patient the other day, I said, look, if you went to the hardware store right now, bought a brand new vacuum, brought it in this office, and set it in the middle of the floor, it wouldn't work. There's nothing wrong with the vacuum, but it doesn't work. And there's nothing wrong with the electrical outlet in the wall. It's fine. But if those two don't connect, they're useless to each other, right? Yeah. And so um, modern medicine is, is, is trying to continue to find ways to patent the removal of amyloid plaques from the junction instead of the buildup of the plaques to begin with. And what happens is it's like having a house with a front door and a back door, right? And they're both the same size. So amyloid plaques are coming in the front door and somebody's taking them out the back door. But what's happening is the front door, every few weeks it gets larger, but the back door stays the same size. Mm. And now the front door is larger and larger and larger. And pretty soon you got this garage roll-up door you could drive an RV through in the front and you got this little doggy door out the back. And that's how the loss of memory accelerates. We cannot keep up with the pace of the deposit of amyloid plaques. So if you stop the deposition of those plaques and begin the removal of those plaques without additional deposition, you can reverse those etiologies. Uh, um, this is so damn fascinating. Yeah, so think about why, and, and, and listen, I, I'm the guy that if I tell you, I have thousands of, of um, patients that we've reviewed in, those, in the mortality space, because the mortality space was all data-driven, Oh yeah. right? You couldn't just tell an insurance company, hey, go buying $10 million of, of risk on this life based on this prediction and not have data to support it. 
right? But this data unfortunately doesn't make it to the scientific community or from the scientific community into the private sector because there, there's no money at KDGEN. I was just going to say that when you, no when you money, follow the you, money, yeah, where, who, who's got the most, yeah, who's got the most financial incentive to make sure that this, they've got this data? It's the people in sharing it, but they, you know, they're sitting on the data and they're like, all right, well, cool. This serves our purpose, but yeah. Hey, let the plaques build up. I'll develop a drug to remove the plaques and then they'll keep depositing them. I'll keep removing them. That's job security, right? Yeah, it um, 100% is. Now, um, you guys, I want to switch back over here. Like, first of all, like, so Streamline, you mentioned you guys are in multiple states now, like eight or nine states and continuing to grow. You even have a pretty well-known uh, investment backer. I don't know if you're, I mean, is that public knowledge? Oh, Grant, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Grant Cardone is he's one got, of the... He's got 2.4 million Instagram followers, he tells all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I thought so. I was making sure. Never yeah. want to call somebody out. But um, yeah, so Grant Cardone, who you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Grant's work, and I think that's awesome. Um, when, uh, or, you know, what, what is it particularly you think that gr the Grant saw in in this as well? Like, I, I guess you guys probably help him with his health. And then uh, the growth of this industry has to be just astronomical and just because of the baby boom generation and the elder population, but also a lot of people just starting to pay attention to health issues like this. Maybe they're listening to a podcast and like, you know, I never even gave this thing two pieces of thought. So um, like, can you talk a little bit more about kind of the the growth yeah, I mean, so, I mean, my, my journey with Grant um, began like my journey with most of our, um, you know, celebrity clients or athletes or very prominent clients and began with a blood test. Um, somebody said to him that was very close to his inner sphere, you need to get your blood done and have this group look at your, your blood yep. work. Um, and after our clinical team did the analysis of his bloods, um, I got on the phone with him and went through his blood work, but we don't go through his blood work and say, this level is here and that level is there and you need to raise this to here and that to there. We get on the phone and say, listen, I, I see a person that goes to bed exhausted, um, but wakes up more exhausted than they went to bed. Why? Because I can see that the mind keeps them up to the wee wee hours of the morning. So when they finally do fall asleep, they wake up more exhausted than went to bed. I can see that you wake up in the morning sore and achy, kind of like you had a workout the night before, but you haven't. Um, you know, and I can tell that you have a significant energy crash sometime between two and four in the afternoon, almost every day of the week. And it's significant enough that if you're driving, you don't just you know, need to pull over, you need to pull over now. Um, when you start talking to a patient like that, they start freaking out. I think, in fact, Grant initially accused me of talking to his wife behind his back yeah. <laughs> or his right-hand guy, Jerry. Like, Where are you getting this information yeah, from? Yeah. How do you know that? To, to, who put you up to this? And I said, just telling you what we see in the bloods. Almost um, a mathematical formula, right? Yeah. I mean, he's in great shape. And, and, and you know, if you look at him over the last you know, two years or so since, since we really got a hold of him, you just look at how he's taken on a more youthful appearance. You look at his physical condition. I mean, he's a 62 year old guy. He looks like he's 40. Um, yep, and he really does. 25 year old man. I mean, he's sharp. Um, he is um, aggressive in a positive way. You know, he has a positive aggression towards working out. He has a positive aggression towards business. His physiology and his passion are aligned. I mean, don't let him fool you. He gets high on his own supply. I mean, he, he gets high from that, the crowds and he feeds off the energy of helping people and giving them that information. But his physiology allows him an endless amount of energy to push back into, um, you know, the people that, uh, that follow him. 
And um, it's unbelievable. I've never seen him have, have a down day. But of course, I know what's going on in his blood. It's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so ditto that for his wife. In fact, she was, we posted on Instagram the day that we pulled her, um, uh, Lena Cardone's um, uh, genetic test. And she is the only first of my kind in my entire uh, span of this business that I've seen a perfect genetic test. She's really? literally 100% on her telling your test. I actually had to call cell science and say, hey, is this possible? Is what does that mean? Like, so I've done a genetic test in the terms of, uh, it was looking at four, it was a three prong test. One of them was for pharmacogenetics. One was for um, potential risk for disease, and et cetera. Is that the same kind of genetic? Yeah, if you about? like immunodex, um, it also gives you, you know, includes a telomere test. But it um, basically tells you where you rank either chronologically or biologically. So right. if biologically you are older than your age or chronologically you are younger than your age. And obviously we want to be chronologically younger. We can't control. Um, I mean, I'm sorry. We want to be biologically younger. We can't control chronology. And chronology is how many years have we been on this earth. That is what it is. But we don't have... We don't have to accept the age that we're given. We can have our biome dictate a different age. I mean, I'll, I'll be 50 in a year and I less than a year and I, I feel like I'm 25. I mean, I'm out of my mind. Nice. Yeah, I just pulled this up. Man, it was 2012 that I did this, although genetic tests are probably relatively static, I would think. But uh... yeah, yeah, for the most part. I mean, they're honing in on different things. You know, we do, so there's some really great specific genetic tests for all kinds of things. You know, we see a lot of MTHFR in our, our practice. Um, a lot of people with anxiety, depression, um, been diagnosed bipolar, manic depressive, or um, yeah. uh, have panic attacks, all related to how they methylate um, or the lack of their ability to methylate certain compounds. Inability yeah. to methylate folic acid is, is the leading cause of anxiety. Wow. I mean, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's... Um... It's like, there's only, I'm looking at the condition risk and there's a whole bunch of stuff and th there was nothing really bad, but there was like the, the only one that says take some action is for exfoliation glaucoma, be proactive on uh, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, which is Lou Gehrig's, mm -hmm. um, be proactive on coronary artery disease, hypertension and myocardial infarction. But it, it, I wasn't like at a high risk. It was just like, yeah, be proactive on this stuff. So yeah, I mean, so I like more specifics, right? I mean, so patient leaves a streamlined office, we're going to say 10,000 IUs of vitamin D3, 80 micrograms of K2 daily, you know, or, you know, X amount of DHEA, or um, this amount and type of B12, or these, these amino acids in this specific combination, or this hormone profile, um, so that you have optimal function when you leave. Um, yeah. And then you can really go down your journey I mean, I've got there's red, you know, red light panels, and you know, if I walk you around this office, you're gonna see stem cells, Wharton's jelly, oh, Wharton's blood, you know, all all the goodies. You know, I've got crutch. I just I just forwarded you my genomics report, by the way. So oh, you did. In case, in case you had any, any curiosity, you read that for free right now. Is that what you're doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, um, but yeah, so uh, streamline. You guys are growing. What are the? Let me ask you this. So your growth strategy. This is more into the business side. We've we've been talking about the health stuff, and I think everybody here realizes that man, maybe this is something I should probably go deeper on because there's a lot more to know about it than I thought. 
uh, on the business side, so you guys are, you said you're expanding, et cetera. What's the model there? Uh, is that like, is that franchise? Is that company owned stores, licenses? Is it like, you know, let's say somebody wants to open up a uh, streamline medical in uh, another country, in state, like California or something like that. Yeah. What has so, been the business model so far? Um, so basically what we've done is, um, you know, I want to help as many people as I humanly possibly can. And I realize that I'm not going to be able to do that by touching people. Right. Um, I realized that I need to duplicate um, a lot of my past experience. And then I have to get allopathic physicians to um, practice with that level of experience from, you know, from their heart. And so we have two models, essentially. One is where um, we'll go with it's all private partnerships. We don't have a franchise. Per se. Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, franchise medicine is really difficult. And from a regulatory yeah. standpoint, it's very risky. You know? States generally fall into two categories, professional practice management states where you need a management services organization or states where the clinician doesn't necessarily need to own the, the clinic. But um, um, you want to make sure you're not running afoul of the regulatory environment for practicing medicine and even worse, the regulatory environment for how um, payments are made to parties that are involved in, in the patient process, right? Mm -hmm. Referrals and kickbacks are really, really nasty things in, in medicine. Oh, yeah. So. What we do is um, we have a, um, a model where uh, someone wants to open a standalone clinic in their city or their town. Um, you know, they pay a fee and we essentially drop all of the components of a streamlined uh, wellness clinic into that location. Um, the blood protocols, the, the, the operating systems, the, um, the labs that you pull. Um, we essentially have a, um, we're working on putting this in artificial intelligence, but we have a way of extracting the records and putting the treatment protocols in front of a physician in a way that he can make a very fast decision. Oh, um, and so um, we, we give the ranges and how to treat those ranges and why those ranges are important, what the patient can expect. And we put it into a very, very, very simple report for the patient to read. You know, labs are really confusing. You know, red blood cell count, hemoglobin, oh, yeah, MCV, MCHC. It's like, what in the heck is that? Um, and, you know, I train a lot of physicians that are not really adept at really reading labs. So getting that information in front of a patient in a way that the patient can understand, um, and not only the way a patient can understand, but the, understand it well enough that they can communicate it to another person. Yeah. I mean, I actually was listening to you selfishly today to see how good of a job my staff did with you on your last phone call. And I could tell you did a very good job because you were able to tell people what you're on, yep. what you're taking, why you're taking it. I would bet less than 5% of the patients that come in my office from primary care doctors, and I am not busting on primary care physicians at all, or their cardiologist or their internist are on two, three, four, five different prescription medications. They are lucky they can name one, the full name, most of the time, we play a game of charades. Sounds like yeah. a psyllin, a billin, a moxosoxin, a sycamixin. I don't know. I just stick it in my mouth. Balance, right? And then I go, well, well, just tell me what it's for, and I'll help you. I don't know. You know, I think I think I take one for a statin, uh, which I think is for cholesterol. I take one for depression, and then I got this one for my heart. And I'm a beta blocker, or what? You know, is it a diuretic? No idea. And they get home and they start taking pictures of the medication. I go, well, this one's for high blood pressure. This one's for high blood pressure. This one's for high blood pressure. And this is a diuretic. And you're clinically dehydrated and have headaches, poor functioning, muscle, you know, um, you, have, you have muscle cramps and you're taking a diuretic. And, and you know, it's so, so I know you were asking me about the business. Like, 
No, but that's all right. I love, no, I love it. I love it. It's but um, so we have a, a way to put people into practice, you know, someone that's interested in being an owner operator and practice with a standalone clinic. And then we'll take existing clinics, medical practice, primary care, um, doctor's offices, uh, chiropractic offices, and we will put them in the wellness space under our um, umbrella and teach them how to read the labs, um, give them the relationships with the compound pharmacies that they need, give them the diagnostic tools that they need, the training, you know, the IV treatments, all of that, so they can begin to, to really effectuate good biometric health in the sphere that they serve. And um, it's been like drinking from a fire hose on full blast, um, but if you can't tell just I mean, I could literally sit here all night. Yeah. Um, the sun could set and rise, um, and I wouldn't even notice. Well, I can tell. Yeah, I can tell. So, it's uh, this is a like it's a topic you care about. It's not just yeah. a business. That yeah, it really, it really is. You really um, have it. They have, they, you know, they have to take me out of direct contact with patients because I will spend just hours. On patient. <laughs> when a patient's done, I've just eaten their face. They can't move. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, okay, whatever you say, <laughs> Gary. All right, enough. Shut up about the bio. <laughs> I will just listen. So, um, so that brings me to a, a question that I ask every single guest on the show as we're kind of closing on the end here, which is what's a nut that you or Streamline is trying to crack? And let me, uh, let me explain that a little bit more, right? It's, it's easy to say, hey, what's, a, you know, what's something you're trying to accomplish or what's a goal or what's a challenge? But a nut you're trying to crack is typically one of those things that it's uh, you're either trying to find an answer to, a solution for, a resource, a person, whether it's money you're trying to raise, a skill you're trying to learn, a person you're trying to meet. But this is where my, you know you you get to jog my brain and those of my listeners to go, yeah. oh wow, I I might be able to, I know a guy or know a way to help. In is there anything and kind of a stubborn nut you guys are trying to crack, whether it's business related no help. Yeah, no question. Um, I would say number one by far and away is scalability. Right? Yeah. Um, so we have one impedance that I, that is there on purpose, um, and one impedance that is there um, that we, we you know we, we desperately struggle with. And I'll tell you what I mean. One of the impedances um, that I never want to grow at the rate at which I water down. I begin to distill the, the direct contact between the practitioner and the patient. Right. That's where the rubber meets the road is that lab review, right? Bringing the patient into their own healthcare, starting to make them the custodian of their healthcare, right? I even tell them, listen, you're going to be the healthcare CEO of your home. Okay, so I'm going to spend the time with you and you're going to teach the rest of your family how to do this, right? You're going to be the CEO, the chief healthcare officer in your house. And, um, and so that practice inherently has its pace. Um, and then there's the scalability um, of nationwide scalability. Our answer right now is that we're working on getting the streamline, call it the streamline 360, our proprietary way of you know, extracting the medical records from the labs, getting the, getting the lab values into a report that the patient can understand. That's one thing. And then getting the lab report to generate the definitions of the ranges for the patient to understand their specific ranges. And then getting that report to spit out the diagnosis. Because if I'm really gonna help the masses, I have to accelerate the time frame to make the diagnosis, right? And so um, we know what the diagnostics are. Um, we haven't found a good AI company to manipulate that data for us yet. 
Um, but therein lies the ultimate solution because you don't want to you don't want to degrade the human experience. Never been convinced that the absolute practice of medicine between a practitioner and a patient can be rushed. However, everything else can be rushed, right? The, the capacity to make a diagnosis, um, the treatment option, the, the optimal treatment option for that diagnosis, the explanations can be detailed, right? I mean, it's the old you know, problem, like if, tell me what you do in 30 minutes or tell me what you do in three sentences. Three sentences is gonna be really, really, really hard. And so my old grad school professor used to say all the time, he said, um, the complexity is in the simplicity. Yeah. Complexity is in the simplicity. It's not easy making it simple. <laughs> exactly. So, so scalability wrong. for us and the data manipulation to take what we already know to be the proper diagnostics and the ranges. And, and you know, I've hired PhD clinical researchers to cite valid research for every single range, for every single protocol. So we stay in the center bell curve of medicine. I don't want to be out here rubbing stones together and, you know, telling people, you know, goofy things to, 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 for real bio, to, to restore real biometric function. Right. Um, but at the same time, I want to be able to accelerate the distance between that lab and the diagnosis and then empower um, the practitioner to engage the patient. Um, That's powerful. And, and ultimately, to empower the patient for both selfish and non-selfish reasons. Unselfishly, so the patient really understands. Um, and there's a huge growing body of evidence that the more the patient understands what is supposed to be happening, and is, that those vibrations actually do manifest themselves in real biology. Well, I think that's one of really one of the keys because if you don't understand, it's kind of like, well, I'm not. I mean, it's so scientific, and I mean, the medical and scientific community has made it a, um, you know, it's it's a it's a thing. It's just it's so complex. I'm like, I don't get this stuff. So it's like, how can you make it so that people actually understand it? Because once they understand it, they have, then they have the capacity to actually care about it and look for solutions that they understand. Uh, a great example when my wife, who is Brazilian originally, and she's been here for 20 years, but when, you know, when we started to date, and she's in good shape, but, you know, she had no ability to understand what was a healthy food and not, like, she didn't understand the labels. Nobody had ever taught her what carbohydrates and proteins and fats and calories meant. Like, into her 20s and early 30s, she just never even looked at them. So, and I've always kind of been conscious of that. So, I was like, oh, we can't eat this. Look, this thing has, like, 80 grams of carbs. She's like, what is that? Now that she started to understand it, now she's able to like, okay, now I get what they are, the cause and effect. Now I know what to avoid. I mean, that's a very simplified thing, but yeah, if they don't understand it, they're not even going to think about it. But once well, they start I to think about it. I want to understand it to the point where they can communicate it to somebody else, right? Yeah. So when I see somebody that has elevated triglycerides and cholesterol, and I say, listen, I want to put you on a combination of amino acids, methionine, inositol, choline, like a mid complex a trilipoic complex to really help you mobilize and metabolize fat. So that's what this is for. These are amino acids, they're already in your bloodstream. You're gonna take them orally by injection and we're gonna actually put your liver in a more efficient place to metabolize fat. I want that conversation to be able to be continued at a dinner party in my absence so that, you know, when a patient sees one of their old friends and they say, wow, you know, you look great, you look younger, what are you doing? He doesn't say, well, I go to streamline and they give me, I don't know, a cellulin, a billion, or 
coxicillin, I don't know what it is, you know, I wanted to say on these amino acids to reduce, you know, to accelerate my fatty acid metabolism. On, on this to, to restore my testicular function, so my hormone levels are fine. I'm trying to raise my, my blood oxygen level by improving my hormone function. I'm trying to reduce my glycemic profile or lower my blood sugar by, you know, ketogenically or by intermittent fasting. So they have a real grasp of what it is they're doing and why they're doing it. That's what the Streamline 360 is designed to do. Have you, do you guys do this now? Do you do this now or have you thought about doing it where you actually create your own, uh, I mean, these can be a combinations of the vitamins or just general over-the-counter recommendations you make, uh, or it could be a, any combination of, of giving. So this is, the, this is kind of the marketer in me, but it doesn't just solve a marketing um, conundrum but like giving certain protocols, certain names to where even, so as opposed to saying, well, you need a DHEA supplement and this and this and this and this, and all of these things that I've kind of seen before, and it looks like a laundry list of stuff, as opposed to the streamlined blankety blank protocol. And then by packaging it up in something that has a little bit more of a unique uh, feel to it, even just like a brand packaging, then you're able to tell the story of what this kind of thing does. Because if you yeah, tell some, you know what Good. I mean? Well, yeah. yeah, if you tell somebody, well, I'm on, um, and I have to, you know, think of like a handful of things and each one of them kind of does this, that, or the other versus if, if, if my, if the goal is to cure, it's like the streamline, uh, D, uh, like the, the, I'm just thinking of like my wife's, you know, one of the main things was her, uh, vitamin D deficiency. Maybe it's like the streamlined D uh, performance protocol <laughs> or something. Yeah. And then that way the patient can s start to understand what the entire protocol does to say, well, I understand that what I'm doing is by, by getting my vitamin D in check, that helps to um, increase my DHEA. If I go back to my, to the story, which I started to write down, like, oh, okay, it's my D3 oh, helps D3, my DHEA, DHEA which helps marrow. my testosterone, which helps my bone marrow. So if they, if they can start to tell the story that way, I think it, it really is the, um, the key to making people kind of understanding it. it's, it's packaging, right? Like packaging is kind of everything. And there's a great book that I remember reading, um, called, uh, I think it was, oh, shit, what is it called? Um, the shit. micro, yeah, it's called the micro, the, the micro script rules. So it's a, it's a marketing book for sales, copy and branding and positioning and messaging, oh. but the micro, and a, it talks about what a micro script is. So a micro script is, it's one of those things that like dominoes 30 minutes or it's free, right? Like we all remember that. And in it, he talks about how uh, it's not what people remember, it's what they repeat. And you mentioned this earlier, like if I can get this to repeat it to their friends and tell other people. So it's like, how can you create micro scripts around these things for people to where it's packaged up either in a narrative or a visual or something to where like, if they, the goal would be for them to be able to repeat this to somebody else and to teach it, because if they can do that, then it's really ingrained so that if they go, well, this, the streamline D protocol is designed to increase my, um, 
the, the D, which helps my DHEA, which then leads to the, uh, to the testosterone and then to the red blood cells. And then the red blood cells have all this oxygen in them. And then I have all this energy. That's what I'm doing. That's why I'm taking this packaged up protocol and not yeah. DHEA and vitamin D3 with K2, which helps this and this. And like, I, don't, I can't even remember what they are, but I can remember right. the story you just told me. And I think that, because I've seen, I've seen the results of some of y'all's uh, um, reports. And, and oh, what's more, the marker yeah. in me goes, huh, I'll bet this could be done a little bit more uh, efficiently for the layman. Yeah, well, therein lies, you know, we, we, we are working on that with our, um, you know, our, our streamlined um, idea. I don't know if I could share the screen with you, can I? Uh, you can if you hit the share screen button. Um, so a typical, um, you know, a typical uh, profile, let me see, that's me, hold on one sec, guys, if I can find it here. That's right, okay, it's... What is it you're looking for? Um, I have what one of our reports looks like. Anyway, um, I'll find I'll find it another time. But um, you know, to show you kind of the direction, um, you know, that we really are trying to nice. go with it. Um, you know, to 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 make it, you know, more simple. I mean, the like I say, the lab values they are so. Uh, you know, they're so confusing to a lot of people. Oh yeah. Well, to everybody who's not like in your industry. Yeah. Um, thought that I had. No. Like, I actually think that like if you, not even just you, but this is to anybody in general, um, taking complex lab values and concepts like this and almost going to the whole, I think of, uh, what was it called? Schoolhouse rock. Remember back in the days, like a bill, is just the bill capital like you know they they yeah. made it really understandable for the layman to where they could like oh now i know how a law is made or now i know how kind of this stuff works i think that um educating people like educating adults in a way that puts it in layman's terms to where they're like oh my god i get this finally and it makes them kind of want to go down that that path this is not even a recommendation for streamline i'm just thinking out loud but mm -hmm. um, but I, I see the problem because 99% of the people are very surface level. Just give me a, here's my problem. Give me a pill. I don't want to think about it. Right. Those aren't, those probably aren't the people who come work with you as much though. We take, you know, what is boring basic labs oh, cool. and we do it in a very visual format. So if you look at this, people understand, like I said, green, yellow, red. Um, yeah. No matter what country you're from, language you speak, you know, you'd be five years old and most still understand that. So if it's green, it's optimal. Um, if it's yellow, we need to pay attention to it. If it's red, we need to come to a full stop and target that as our primary focus. That will set our agenda, right? This is super cool. Yeah. And so everything about the optimization of your biome fits on one page. And so what I did was, as I, I think I mentioned before, I went into every single lab value um, for every range of that lab value, and then for every age for that lab value, and then for both sexes for that lab value. 
and for the record, I'll still maintain that there's only two sexes. I hope that doesn't offend a lot of people. Uh, I'm a human me. biologist. It doesn't offend me. Okay. There's an X and a Y. Mix it up however you want, okay? But there's only so many combos. But in any case, I went through um, every, you know, males, females, every age, every range, every lab value, and it took an exhaustive amount of months. And I wrote first a definition for that range and then had that definition cited. And then I wrote um, if your range was high, if it was low, what does that mean? And then that links to um, the diagnostic profile. So let's, so for example, um, your um, vitamin D3 um, is, you know, it's a sunshine vitamin, it's a vitamin that helps trans calcium transport, I define it. Um, the range of vitamin D3 is from 30 to 100. Your um, vitamin D3 is 33. So now you know what it means and you know what your range is. And then it goes to the next definition and it basically tells you that based on your range, you are clinically deficient in vitamin D3. Um, what can you expect from this deficiency? Soreness and achiness upon waking, um, stiff muscles, um, poor focus and concentration, lack of optimal bone mineralization of calcium, you know, those sorts of things. And then well, what do we do about it? Um, well, Streamline recommends that you take 10,000 IUs of vitamin D3 daily in um, a dye-free capsule, pharmaceutical grade dye-free capsule with 80 micrograms of K2. Um, and then we would expect in 10 weeks for your levels to be here. So now the patient knows what they're taking, why they're taking it, their definition, um, and they're, uh, and they're able to understand it. This first page here is really all the patient needs to understand. And all they really need to understand is the things that are red and yellow on that page. Now this shows an optimal patient, and obviously I call him Michael Jordan, for the record, yeah. Michael Jordan was not our patient. Um, yeah. <laughs> not yet. Um, I wish he was, maybe after this podcast, he listens yeah, exactly. to Yeah, I know he listens to my podcast all the time. He's your business uh, advice, uh, yeah. um, He's trying to make ends meet. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so, you know, they would focus on the yellows and the reds. Um, and then essentially we would direct them to, um, a way for this, you know, to equal the treatment protocol to optimize them. And so I can have a patient understand, right? And then you see these other definitions. It's like, well, what is hemoglobin A1C? Well, hemoglobin A1C is in the hemoglobin in red blood cells becomes glycinated by glucose. It explains what that is explains the range and explains the treatment option. Um, and at the very end, I take four pages of labs and I summarize them onto a single page. Um, and that's where you see this. Um, and I group it differently than the labs group it. I group it by organ function, your thyroid, your vitamin deficiencies, your lipids, your bloods. And people say all the time, well, why don't you pull this panel? Why don't you pull that panel? Why don't you do this, uh, you know, uh, sed rates and iron, C-reactive proteins, all of these things. You could pull blood markers ad nauseum. Well, the first thing you do is you cast a net to see what is underneath the boat. And you pull that up onto the boat, you look at it, you say, okay, here's what we're dealing with. And you get specific from there. Why? Because you save cost and you save um, for the patient. And, and you save an overwhelming amount of data. Right? Oh, you have to remember the patient compliance is really reliant upon a patient's capacity to understand what it is that you want them to do. If I say, you, you know, you got to become a vegan overnight and you got to, um, 
you know, you're going to take this crazy nootropic, you're going to take these six vitamins, and this does this, and that does that, and you'll start exercising every day. It's just going to be like, whoa, man, that's way more than I signed up for, right? So now a patient that is already at that level, I can meet a patient at a completely different level. Right. right. I, I mean, I meet a lot of biohackers. I'm a biohacker myself. My bureaus are scientists and PhDs, biohackers. So, you know, I, I have, you know, levels of conversation that are all about intracellular health, mitochondrial health. How are we powering the Krebs cycle? How are we increasing the uh, levels of deuterium depleted water in the biome? And how are we getting deuterium depleted water into the mitochondria? So at that level, we're talking about a completely different sphere of engagement. But 90% of the population, if we're really, really going to help humanity, we got to educate the other one on what are the basics of good biometric health. And it's not Lucky Charms and granola bars and orange juice. What? Yeah. (laughs) Have you you thought about um, writing a book? I am... I mean, I know you got a, you know, tons and tons of free time, but I was just curious. Yeah, yeah, a copious amounts of free time. Um, I'm, I'm in the midst of a, uh, uh, a book now, a 21 chapter book. Nice. Uh, it's called Hacked. Um, and it is the top 21 ways to hack the human bio. And nice. They're very um, succinct, direct ways. They're, they're ways that are known to a lot of people and not known to a lot of people. Yeah. Right? I mean, I can improve your physiologic function so dramatically by just changing the way you go about your day, right? Um, Give me an example. um, So, for example, uh, you know, a lot of people that are trying to enhance the the outcomes of the workouts, right? They don't realize that our body has the capacity to release um, very, very highly specialized proteins that will multiply the rate of of, uh, protein synthesis in the body and muscle tissue repair by about four times. Um, they'll scour the blood of free radicals, um, and they will amplify the wound and tissue healing capacity of the blood simply by elevating or significantly decreasing body temperature. They're called. So how do you sti- how do you stimulate those proteins? Okay, so uh, heat shock proteins, for example, um, if you Google heat shock proteins, you'll see that it's a type of protein that the liver releases in exposure uh, when you're exposed to extreme heat. So how do you get into extreme heat? It's a sauna. Um, Light yourself so on fire. You if you want to actually have an intense workout and recover much faster than you could um, otherwise by just you know going to sleep, um, you spend 20 minutes in a sauna. I don't suggest you spend 20 minutes in a sauna um, right away. I have our patients start at five minutes um, for a week, then move to 10, then move to 15, and then move to 20. But if you put yourself into a sauna at temperatures above 108 degrees, better above 120 degrees, um, it's optimal at 140 degrees, um, for 20 minutes, your liver will do three days of detoxification, right? Because, because the, um, the liver has basically three ways of getting rid of waste, right? Turns it into something inert and throws it back into the bloodstream. Um, it excretes it through the stool or the urine or pushes it out through the skin. Our, our skin is actually the largest organ in the body, but it's also the largest way for, for us to get toxins out of the bloodstream. So if I want to prove the rate at which toxins leave your bloodstream, then um, I increase my body temperature. And so not only will I detoxify myself much faster, but I will also elevate my growth hormone level and I will dump heat shock proteins directly into the bloodstream. 
Don't underestimate the power of heat shock proteins. This is like a, an illegal steroid hiding in your liver. And so you the, all right, so I'm writing all this down. So uh, 120 degree sauna for about 20 minutes, how often? Three times a week. Okay. Absolute game changer. Absolute game changer. Really? Uh, yeah. The majority of the population, about 70% of the population is borderline clinically dehydrated. Yep. They don't know they, why. They said that I was. They said that I was as well. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not usually dehydrated because they don't get enough water. See, this yeah. is a misnomer about hydration. Most people think that you're hydrated when you have a lot of water in your bloodstream. Water in the bloodstream does us no good. We need the water to leave the blood and enter the tissue. So how does water leave the blood and enter the tissue? It's through a process called osmosis. It's called the osmotic gradient. And the osmotic gradient is, is determined by sodium. But most people can't wrap their minds around sodium being hydrated. Until I explained to them that if you were so dehydrated at this very moment that you landed in the emergency room, the first thing the emergency room would do is give you a saline IV. Yeah. So wait a second. I'm dehydrated. I'm rushed to the hospital for dehydration. I collapsed in a race. And the first thing I can do is put salt water in my body. Yes. Why? Because the osmotic gradient will take that salt water from the blood and it will push it into the tissue. You're not hydrated when the water's in your blood. You're hydrated when the water's in your tissue. So how can I have you do that at home? Get a tub of pink Himalayan sea salt, put it into a glass of water until the salt falls to the bottom of the glass and collects on the bottom of the glass. Now you know you have a saturated solution. Take two tablespoons of that solution and put it in a gallon of water. Nothing will hydrate you better than that. That's awesome. what happens when you hydrate yourself. Better focus, better concentration. Headaches are gone. Headaches are a thing of the past. Migraines, thing of the past. Um, response to exercise improves. Um, urinary continence improves. And I mean urinary continence, a lot of guys that think they have prostate issues actually have dehydration issues. Mm -hmm. You know, people with high blood pressure are put on diuretics, which gets fluid out of their body, which actually has this, the effect of dehydrating the tissues. So, so salt water is not dehydrating, it's actually very hydrating. So it are th simple things like that. Like I can make small tweaks to your day that will demonstratively change your life. I, I mean, I have, I have patients that are so far gone that they didn't really want to get out of bed in the morning. I say, so listen, if your day starts in despair in the bed, when you wake up in the morning, I'm going to give you a little trick so you can be, you're going to be better tomorrow morning than 70% of America because I'm going to teach you how to do one thing. Because the first thought on 70% of Americans' minds, when they wake up in the morning, their very first thought is they want to go back to sleep. Yeah. Right? So that's a very, that's a fact. It was printed in USA Today. Um, so, um, so when you wake up tomorrow, the second you wake up, all I want you to do is sit up in bed. That's it. Just sit up in bed. If you just sat up when you first woke up, you're already ahead of 70% of the rest of the country. I'm just going to give you that small win. And then I want you to um, put your feet on the floor. I want you to take three really deep breaths. And then I want you to stop. I want you to think of two things you're grateful for. At that moment, it could be the spouse laying next to you in the bed, it could be the children in the other room, it could be the fact that you're actually sitting on the edge of the bed and didn't go back to sleep for the first time in 10 years. Whatever it is, I want you to think of two things you're grateful for. Now, once you get up from there, I want you to start your day. I mean, I literally have patients that I start right there. Depressed, obese, patients that have gone through financial ruin, divorce, bankruptcy, just can't. So it's wake up, 
yeah. wake up, sit, sit up. up. As soon as you wake up, I want you to sit up in bed. Yep, and then and then feet on the floor. Feet on the floor. Three deep breaths. Three deep breaths. Good visceral deep breaths. And then light a cigarette. And then light a and then light a cigarette, right? <laughs> then light a cigarette, yes, and go back to sleep. Slam <laughs> the snooze button. That's awesome. Stay on fat and depressed. It's not worth it. Go back to sleep. <laughs> uh, well, man, well that is a, that is a perfect way to uh, end this episizzle. Other podcasts have episodes. We have episizzles, by the way. Um, with what to do when you start is a great way to end the show is with what to do to start your day. Um, yep. Like little stuff. It doesn't have to involve uh, supplements and injections and all this other fancy yeah. stuff. Uh, salt water. Yep. Guzzle Perfect. some salt water. But my, I mean, once Gary, this is so much fun. Usually my uh, episodes run a lot shorter than this. We run out of things to talk about, but uh, this has been a blast. We've uh, just gone and gone. And I, I know I learned quite a few things here and I've been awesome. working with you and your Thank team you. for a while. Um, and I look forward to continuing to work with you and, uh, keep you abreast on my results and hopefully hopefully the the folks who are still listening to us have found this as fascinating as I have and understand that um not only I mean their life their performance their mood everything the way they feel I mean there there really is nothing more important than um than health and the way we feel and you don't have to you know there's things you can do to improve it. You don't have to just accept what life is giving you and what you yeah. know, when you think you're doing healthy. Um, I mean, the $295 blood test is one of the coolest things that I've ever done. I highly yeah. recommend that people um, do that and, and check it out with you. Go to streamlinewellness.com. You see all our office locations there. There's a, there's a um, place to sign up for, um, you know, to, to, to go through the process right there on the site. You guys opening up uh, anything in California anytime soon? Um, we just opened in um, the, uh, the penthouse of the Weston St. Francis in downtown San Francisco, Union Square. Cool. Let me know if you hit but I, uh, I would love to be in L.A. You know, that's kind of the epicenter of, uh, you know, they're just more, a lot. You know, I think, I think Los Angeles... Miami, New York, they, they, they're a lot more progressive in terms of, politically for sure, and progressive more in terms of the, uh, you know, of, of wellness, more accepting of non-conventional therapies. Who are the people, the people who uh, end up opening up, are, are they usually doctors or are they other people who, they don't even necessarily have to be a doctor, but um, they can bring doctors in to work with them at the Yeah, location. I mean, we, we will help you with the physicians. I mean, we've got, you know, Norm's cadre of allopathic physicians. And yeah. we would prefer to use a physician that we trained as a, as a clinic director, but you know, in the case that you're a physician and want to open a practice, you know, I've got all the patients in the world for to to uh, teach, you know, what they want That's to awesome. do. I mean, at the end of the day, um, I'll reiterate again, I can't prescribe medicine. So um, a lot of what we do is by prescription, a lot of it's not. Um, but um, uh, you know, so I, I've got all the time in the world to train physicians so that they can you know, enhance their practice for their, but, uh, for their patients, but chiropractors, um, um, people that are just have a wellness orientation, you know, people that really like this space and want to be in the space, um, just don't know where to start. How do I get a pharmacy? What blood test do I pull? What do I, you know, how do I report it to a patient? And 
the overhead like? What are the kind of performers? How much money can I make in the space if I invest in a, in a clinic like this? Um, you yeah. know, um, you know, what protocols am I going to follow, man? I get on, I mean, I get on the internet and I just get lost. I mean, oh yeah. Um, there's a lot of bro science out there. And I will tell you at the end of the day, we practice pretty much right down the center of the bell curve. You know, we do a lot of textbook journal of American neurology, journal of American endocrinology, textbook clinical guidelines for hormone therapy. You'd be surprised how up to date a lot of this information is, but how not up to date a lot of the physicians in those allopathic disciplines are. You know, and this again, it's not a, it's not a slight on physicians, but you, I can't even tell you how many urologists I've referred back to their own peer-reviewed journal. I say, well, okay, well, you're a urologist, then let's take the information from the Journal of American Urology. Just Google Journal of American Urology Testosterone Guidelines. Just do that. Boom, you'll bring up the 2018 Clinical Guidelines for Testosterone Therapy. And in there, you'll find no clinical evidence to support um, increased risk of prostate cancer, no clinical evidence to support increased risk of cardiovascular health, no clinical evidence to, uh, to support increased risk of thrombolytic events, which are you know uh, blood clots. Yeah. However, lots of clinical evidence to show that you have a higher risk of cardiovascular disease, not balancing your hormones, higher risk of sexual dysfunction, higher risk of um, uh, bone mineral loss, poor concentration, depression, mood disorders, and that's your peer-reviewed journal. That's the 2018 published peer-reviewed clinical guidelines for hormone therapy, right? This is not, again, mm-hmm. you know, t- not any problem rubbing two crystals together. I keep saying that. But this is not like rubbing two crystals together and hoping so this function improves. This is real science, yeah. right? Real, real science. And, um, and so when you start to, to you know, remind um, even allopathic physicians like that. Um, wow, you know, if you graduated in 1996 from med school, very often that's where your knowledge stops growing. Um, now it's 2018, the world's 20 some years down the road, and even your own peer review literature has, you know, amended its thought. Um, and you know what's starting to happen now, which is just awesome and fascinating, is you know there's there's a growing army of citizen scientists. You know, people taking healthcare into their own hands. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I'm going to go see my primary care physician, but when I'm going in there, I'm not just walking out with a bunch of medications. I'm going to, you know, what five or other alternatives? Um, and physicians are having to reinvent themselves. You know, I, I talk to them all the time. I have a huge, huge, huge patient base of doctors you know i have a lot of physicians that are patients of mine but i want to say patients of mine because i can't try to ask be careful what i say but um that that seek guidance from us for their health care um you know at least you know several times a week we we are reading labs for other doctors um and so uh when you can scientifically support a treatment protocol that an allopathic physician can get on board with that is very, very rewarding. Can train and empower them to help their, their Oh, I imagine. Patients. I yeah. imagine it is. So, That's fantastic. Well, Gary, thanks again for yeah, being uh, just a great guest on the show, just sharing so much information. Uh, if, if you've liked this, if you want to go down the same path that yours truly has been gone down, go to streamlinewellness.com. And if you end up talking to Gary, tell him I sent you. Um, 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, Gary, I, I look forward to working with you for a long time and continuously yeah, monitoring too. my health and uh, my wife's and making sure that, um, you know, we're staying on top of our game because, you know, uh, the best time to do it is it's like planting a tree. When's the best time to plant yeah. a tree? 20 years ago. Really? The second best time today. So, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, it's yeah. so true, man. I mean, I, I mean, I know we're closing out, but I would say too that, you know, we're starting to really reach younger and younger and younger parts yeah. of the generation because we're no longer talking about just health for the prevention of disease. Hey, you won't get Alzheimer's. You won't get dementia. You won't get cardiovascular disease. That seems so intangible and so far out in the future. And so like esoteric, it's like, I, you know, I really don't care about that today. Um, but when I talk about libido, sexual function, turning oh, yeah. into physiological superhuman, layering muscle on your body, dropping fat, you know, improving your cognitive function. You'll um, always, you'll always have more success going after vanity and then yeah. it's tell them what they want, give them what they need. It's like, yeah. Oh, you want to, you yeah. want a stronger boner? Well, we can get you that. Yeah. But let's also prevent you from dying. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people are like, you know, I don't want to talk about disease because if I have it, I don't want to know, you know, like really that's the mentality of most people. You know? mm -hmm. So, um, you're hundred percent right. Yeah. Yeah, so I I really enjoyed this too, man. I hope this isn't our last podcast, and um, I hope won't that be. people find it really, you know, helpful. You should start. You should start your own podcast someday. It's they, they actually work really well. All right, maybe I'll do that. That's a good, another good idea. <laughs> well, for everybody else listening to this show, I'm I uh, hope you like it. Send me an email to askbrad at baconwrapbusiness.com. Let me know what you think. Let me know if you end up uh, doing any work with uh, Streamline as well. And if you have any other topic suggestions, things you really want to know, let me know. Or go over to baconwrapbusiness.com, the homepage, scroll down to the bottom, and you'll see a little button that says, leave me a message. You can push that button, whether it's on your cell phone or it's on your uh, screen. It'll open up a microphone. You can leave me a voice note. And if it's a good one, I may even uh, play it on the air. But uh, thanks again. Subscribe to the show. And uh, Gary, thanks again for being such an awesome guest. You got it, man. We'll talk soon.